Um, we're ending our mixtape series, and this has been a series where we've just had um, people share some of their favorite things or topics that maybe we've never approached before but or had an opportunity to, and so we've been sharing from that. And um, over at the Uinta campus, uh, my son Nate interviewed Alfred for one of the mixtape messages, and uh, Alfred had been here dropping off um, food for our food distribution with the community center. And I was like, Alfred? And he said, I want to come be with you guys. And I'm like, I want you to come be with us too. Um, and so we took the opportunity for to wrap up our series to have him here. And Alfred has been in my life um, forever. <laughs> it feels time. like a long time. His kids... Uh, were even a couple of them were taught by my sister at a private school, um, private Christian school down in, in West Valley. Mm -hmm. um, so our lives have intersected on many different levels. But when I think of people um, saying it takes a village to raise your kids, I've always parented with that mentality that so many people pouring into my kids was better than just myself. Um, and my husband pouring into our kids, and Alfred has poured into my children um, and given them depth and wisdom and life and um, awakened things inside of them uh, just by leading by example in such powerful ways um, that his impact in their lives will last forever. And because of that, he's impacted my life um, in a powerful way. Megan would never be doing, um, being the site director for the community center had Alfred not led by example uh, with his life and invited her into that. But Alfred, um, that's not like, that's not your story um, of how you grew up. And I would love to have you share um, a bit of your testimony, because honestly, uh, you're a living, breathing miracle in front of us today, um, whose life has impacted thousands and thousands of people, and I would love for you to share that. Well, thank you. Uh, Graham, was that you that did the intro? Wow, I'm humbled. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I love Graham. Just, <laughs> even more now. Thank you. <laughs> Now, guys, um, thank you for all the kind words and all that, but the biggest thing for me, you guys, is the ability to try to challenge people. The Bible talks about stir up the gift that you have inside you, and a lot of us sometimes don't realize what that is. What is the gift? What is it that God is doing in me? And so I didn't know any of this stuff, of the gift that I would have or anything, until someone actually poured into my life. And so um, going into the way I was raised in San Jose, California, and uh, quickly my mom and dad had big dreams, and they were going to live the American dream and, and do what they could do to just have a happy family. Only problem was my dad, being a business guy, would go to the bar before he'd come home, a happy hour, and he would come home drunk. And he'd end up hitting my mom and hurting my mom. And the abuse that she took was very, very hard. 
Now, again, I'm just being born. And my mom, by the time I was three years old, and my brother was one, she couldn't take it anymore. She couldn't stand the idea of getting beat almost every day. And so she was determined to leave him. That particular day, she was packing and ready to go. He did not go to the bar. He maybe sensed something was happening and came straight home and found her packing. They got in a big fight. He broke her nose. Well, life skips from there. And then they divorced, and my mom remarried when I was five. And I explained to everyone about my stepfather. My stepfather loved my mom but didn't really care for my brother and I. And, you, you know, you could tell when someone cares about you. And you could tell when they're around. When he was around my mom, he treated us really good. But when it was on the sly or on the side, it was like we could tell he didn't really want us around. But he did what he had to do. My stepfather, not polar opposite of my real dad, my stepfather was one that he, uh, again, we're talking the 70s here, so he had the hair, he had the beard. He was a part cholo and a part hippie, you know, and so I called him a cheapie because, <laughs> no, seriously, he never spent money on us at all. He would always, you know, for what he was doing and his activities and his friends and his cars, and he did what he did. And we would always, man, he's a cheapskate. He won't, you know, nothing. He got mad at my mom for buying us clothes. Now, my mom didn't buy clothes. You go to those secondhand stores, DI or whatever it is, you go to those stores, and there's always a spot in the corner where it says free. That's where my mom went. So she didn't even buy the clothes. It was something the stores didn't even want anymore. And we were wearing those. And I hated life. I hated everything to do with it. And... My stepdad, because he couldn't hold a job, he didn't like anybody telling him what to do. So he got involved in organized crime. He was in part of a crew to bring drugs from over out of country. And he thought he would get involved heavy and then get out fast. Make money, get out. But while he was doing what he was doing, he actually got caught and was sent to prison. He denied the whole time, lying to my mom the whole time, as we would visit him. And it came to that place that my stepfather was killed in prison for all the things that he was doing. So now my mom, single mom, raising five kids, my brother and I, and then the, my brother Victor and the, my twin sisters, five kids all under the age of 12 and doing what she could to try to make this work. Again, you know, you go to a poor neighborhood and you see that people, the people, whoever it is, and you... You, you, they say, well, you think I'm poor. Well, look at them. We were the them. Okay? It was, it, was, it was hard, and I hated it. I hated it with the passion, having to always depend on the government. I hated it with the passion, waiting in line for this, waiting in line for that, being yelled at. I just hated being poor, but I couldn't do anything about it. I was still a kid myself. My grandfather dies right after my stepdad, cirrhosis of the liver. This is my mom's dad, the only man I cared about. So he died, so the hurt was there even more. I got jumped, not by gang members, but by some kids that looked at me and I looked different from them and racially was called all kinds of names and was beat up really bad as a seventh grader from a bunch of high schoolers. When I dragged myself home, it came to the point where 
guys from the neighborhood saw. They said, who did that to you? And I told them. They go, you join us, we'll get them. I was scared as a seventh grader. I joined them. Those guys got their, you know, it was horrible what they did to those guys. But I now was committed to being involved. Not having a grandpa, not having a dad, real dad is gone. I saw two of my friends die to drive-by shootings and two others by multiple stab wounds. It was ugly and fast-paced what everything was happening. The depression that set in because our friends were gone, remember I told you we were poor. We didn't have money back then for heroin. We didn't have money for cocaine. We did dumb things, very dumb things. Inhalant, gas, paint, glue, whatever. And I lost two of my friends to the state mental hospital from all the huffing that they were doing. Just fried their brains so fast. And it was one of those things where life was just falling apart. I had no direction. I had no one there that I could turn to. All the girls in the neighborhood were pregnant by 14. All the guys in the neighborhood, they were either the dads were dead or gone or in prison or just abandoned and left. And it just came to that place where I quit school. I lost my purity there in the neighborhood at the age of 12. And from that moment on, life was falling apart. I had a great idea when I turned 14. I'm going to look for my real dad. If I can find my real dad, because last I saw him, I was three. I had a picture of him in a suit and tie, but nobody would tell me where I can find him. And so it got to the place where I started looking, and someone said, okay, I'll show you, because I kept bugging. You know, that emptiness about, I want to know who I belong to. I want to find, you know, if you did the DNA thing, you know what I'm talking about. You want to know who's your family. And I wanted to know him. So he takes me where all the homeless people are. And he takes me behind a building. And behind that building was a dirty mattress on the dirt floor. There's a guy laying there in a pool of vomit. Smells like urine. I'm sorry, I know you guys are eating. You're like... It, it, it was a horrible sight to see that man there. And then this guy says, that's your dad. That's not who I'm looking for. I'm looking for a guy in a suit and tie. And I've seen this guy right here. My hand curled up. It was nothing for me to retaliate, letting my anger out. It was, you guys know what I'm talking about. I had no control, but anger hit me. I'm swinging. And he saw that, and I looked at him because I was just about to hit him. He took the picture out of my hand. He rolled the guy over. He goes, you fool, that's your dad. And then I recognized the guy. That's the guy who would walk in front of my house almost every day across the street. That's the guy my friends and I would get rocks and walnuts. You ever seen walnut in its casing? Not the brown shell, but the case around it. It's a hard green, like a rock. And we would pick those up because we had a walnut tree in front of our house. We'd pick those up and we'd throw it at him, trying to make him fall. I didn't know it was my dad. This is the guy who got so drunk in my neighborhood that he crossed over a railroad track, tripped and passed out, train ran him over, amputated his leg from his hip down, smoked so much, got cancer in his lung, part of his lung removed. He was 38 years old, laying on that mattress, looked 90, looked dying. That's my dad. The one-legged wino that I made fun of all my life is my dad. 
I said, if he ever wakes up, tell him I was looking for him. I get a phone call three days later from a nurse in a halfway home, and the nurse says, your dad would like to see you. I go. I have one picture with him behind a pool table. Didn't want to show that his leg was missing. And then I got another phone call a couple days later saying that he died. My life was a mess. <laughs> I quit school. I want nothing to do with it. They didn't want me at that school. That was a time when we were getting bused, taking inner city kids to the suburbs. And we were bused there. It was amazing that first day driving into the beautiful neighborhood and seeing all these houses. And I don't know about you guys if you've ever done this before. You go through those nice neighborhoods and you're like, as a little kid, ooh, that one's my house. That one's my house. Oh my God. That and everyone's, I want that one. I called it first. That was my house. And that bus is coming in. And everyone's screaming, whoa, that has a pool, whoa. And then we hear an egg, a rock. And then we pull up to the school, and there's adults, parents, people protesting with signs saying, we don't want them here. It's hard when you have to be escorted by the police to go to class. We fought so much. I didn't want to be at school, so I quit. I tried seventh and eighth grade, I didn't go ninth. I wanted nothing to do with anybody. Everything was falling apart. And then from there, there was a 65-year-old man that came into our neighborhood. He belonged to a church just like this, and the pastor of the church said, we gotta get out of the four walls of this place and go help those kids because they're killing themselves. The nerve of the man, he listened to the pastor. Who does that? You know what I mean? Okay, no, I'm joking. You know, who listens to the pastor? He did. He wasn't an elder or a deacon. He wasn't no bishop. He was no leader. He was not. He was a parishioner that God tugged at his heart saying, we got to go do something. So he came into my neighborhood. He didn't come with a big sign that said, turn or burn. He came with a rake and a broom. Started cleaning up, wiping graffiti off. That was a no-no. Yeah, but he was wiping graffiti off, fixing fences, bringing food, until one day I exploded on him, Labor Day weekend, 1980. I just turned 15. And I vented on him and cussed him out and yelled at him. And I said this, who do you think you are? You, go, you come from your rich neighborhood? You come over here and try to help the poor kids? Us colored kids, you try to just say that you are somebody? You go home and give yourself a high five and make yourself feel better for helping those poor kids. And I said a lot of bad words in between all that, thinking that he would just leave. And then he looked at me and he goes, because he was only so high. And he looked at me and he goes, are you done? I answered him, but I didn't answer him. I answered because I said, I'm done. I wasn't really answering his question as much as I was answering life. I'm out of here. A couple of the older guys that I didn't know actually had taken their own life because they said they were going to call their own shots. No one was going to take them out. They're ready. They're going to leave. It was pride. I'm going to take myself out. They did some things to them. They died. And those thoughts came into me. I'm out of here. I'm done. And then... He started talking to me. He started sharing with me about worth and value. And he did a crazy thing. He pulled out a $20 bill. I thought he was going to pay me off, like, get out of here. Here's some money. Get out. 
I wasn't going to hit him. It was just the idea that I just, why are you here? He asked me, what's the date on the bill? I said, 1961. He goes, this bill's a little older than you. I was born in 65. This bill is older than you. And let's say, and he throws this whole history. Let's say this bill was involved in a bank robbery. Let's say this bill was involved in drugs. Let's say this bill was involved in prostitution. And he went on and on, and he ended it this way. Let's say this bill was in a pile of dog poo for two years, and someone found it, rinsed it off. How much is it worth now? I said, 20 bucks. Like, give it to me. And he goes, don't you understand? This bill can change. Don't you understand? It's in my hands now. All that bad history, it still has worth and value. But one decision will change the direction of this bill. He says, one decision, I can give this to the poor. I can go buy my family something. I could pay a bill. I could do something positive. And then he looks at me and he goes, don't you see you're more valuable than this bill? That floored me because all my life I was told, you're fat, you're stupid. And the worst thing you could ever say to me, you're just like your dad. And I'd get angry. Which one? They were both losers. And that crazy old guy ended up leading me to the Lord. I gave my heart to God. I was just telling pastor that, you know, I, I only saw him that one time. I really believe my own thoughts. I believe he was an angel because I never saw him again and no one ever heard of him. No, and he came in for that whole summer and started, and I, I was just told he was a guy in church that got, and that got challenged and came into our neighborhood. But the idea was my life got rocked and I just started serving God from that moment on. So much so, let me tell you this one story. Is that, I know I'm going on. So, Okay, I started getting so excited. I got so excited about what God was doing in my life. Started going to a small church like this where it was cool. We ate food too. And so as we were there, and the next thing you know, people in my neighborhood started getting saved. People started getting right with God, all my friends. But there was a couple guys in the neighborhood that did not like me. Because now nobody wants to steal. Nobody wants to do the crime. Nobody wants to go out and do things. Why? Because they're all getting saved and starting to go into church. And, and they hated me. I was sharing God to one guy one time at a park. And here's this big hedge bush. And the guy was on the other side. And he had a gun to my head. My friend stopped him. What are you doing? He goes, I hate this dude, man. He's ruining everything with his Jesus garbage. He's all this. He's all that. And he goes, put that away. My friend's a big dude. He just says he knew he would kill him if he hurt me. And he goes, you better watch your back. These guys are after you. To help my mom out, I worked security. I got off my job at midnight. All I had to do was walk literally four blocks down. I'm walking, and I'm, it's, it's quiet, and I hear a whistle. In my gang, there was a whistle we all had. I knew it was guys from my gang. And they were walking that block this way. I'm walking this way. And I could see across the backyard. And I look. And they saw me and I saw them. I'm like, oh, it's those two guys. 
Now, I've always been healthy, okay? And so for me to take off running, these guys would catch me fast. I did take off, though. I got across the street before you know it, they were there. And they go, you can't run away now, you punk. We're going to shut your mouth for good, all that Jesus, this and that. One of the guys, crazy, crazy guy, I fought alongside him. I didn't fight him. He was, I'm on the same group. I fought alongside him. This guy was crazy. He carried a hatchet, a little axe in the back. So when he'd get in a fight, he would just start swinging. I'm sorry, gross, but it was hard, and it was gross to see it firsthand. I see him go like this, you're dead. And he puts his hand, I know that hand going back like this. I know what that meant. He's going for it. I'd only been in church a week. There was a little church in the neighborhood. And the pastor said, if you ever get in trouble, you call on God. And God will send his angels to protect you. I took that literally. I'm looking at his hand going to his back. And I go, Jesus. Next thing I know, these guys take off. I look behind me and there's a cop. I said, thank you. And I ran home because I peed my pants. I was so scared, man. I ran home. I ran home. Two years later, the guy with the axe, he died in a gang fight. But now the other guy, the one that had the gun to my head, he comes into service just like this. Imagine if he just right now came in in a wheelchair. He got stabbed more than 30 times in a gang fight, and he's paralyzed from the hip down. And he now he's crying, and he wants to give his life to God. And I pray with him at the altar, and I lead him to the Lord. Afterwards, I take him and do what Christians do. We went to Denny's. And so, and here's the guy. Here's the guy that had a gun to my head. Now I have to pick him up off his wheelchair to put him in my car and take him out. And we're sitting there. And we're talking, and he goes, he goes, man, he goes, I waited too long. I said, remember two years ago? He goes, I remember when we saw you. I go, I have a, been always wondering, why did you guys run? He goes, well, when you screamed like a little girl, he said, chavala means little girl. You screamed like, a, I go, I didn't scream like a little girl. He goes, you said, Jesus. I go, shut up. No, I did I was more manly, Jesus. No, I'm just, you know, I was scared, man. And I said, Jesus. He goes, when you scream like a little girl, I was, I go, well, it was a cop, right? He goes, there was no cop. I go, there was a cop. He pulled up right behind me. He goes, there was no cop. When you said, Jesus, these huge gang members stood behind you. Never seen them before. I go, where did these dudes come from? And these guys were high. He goes, I knew we were high, but I go, when did they show up? I go, there was nobody behind me, dude. It was a cop. He goes, no, nah, man, I don't know where these dudes came from, but I remember what the pastor said. When you call upon the name of the Lord, he'll send his angels. And I started thinking, oh, man, my angels are homies. You know, and so I'm thinking, I'm thinking literally, can you imagine Michael the Archangel, orale, let's do this, you know. And so, and sure enough, these guys take off running. From that moment on, that I see that God saved me, it's been what it's been, a life living. It's been one miracle after another. 14 times I should have died. 
And last year was my last one. And so, thank you. I don't you wish we had an all night with Alfred? Yes. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but literally, Alfred, um, many of us were praying for you uh, when you were in the hospital with COVID. And um, yeah, and we nearly lost you. And as you said, you're a living, breathing miracle, as is your family. Um, but I know you've got a life Bible verse um, that came out of that time in the hospital, and maybe you could wrap us up with that verse and, and why that became your verse. Okay, for, first of all, I want to say thank you for those of you that prayed for me. Second of all, I want to let you guys know, for those of you who have no clue what we're talking about, I was hit with COVID after doing a lot of ministry, and I got hit, and I was sent to McKady Hospital. I was there 45 days, 25 days on a ventilator. And they were like, he's not going to make it. They were take, thinking of taking it out and doing a tracheotomy on me. And it was just one thing after another until it came to a final moment where God, through the prayers of all of you and through a minister that was able to go and visit me, um, I do need to share why I'm going to cough right now. I'm not sick. Excuse me. The, when they took removed the ventilator, thank you. It cut my vocal cord on this side, from the inside. It's still healing, and I'm still healing. I'm not there yet. They said for every two to three days you're in the hospital, it's one month of recovery. I was 45 days, so it's going to be like a year and a half. It's been a year now, and so I'm going. Is there? Do you have that verse? It's, yeah. it's actually Psalms 41, verses yeah. 1 through 4. It's on the questions, yeah, at the bottom. Okay. Do you I can't, want me to read it? I, I can't read that. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thing, I'll tell you straight out, guys. Straight out, straight out. There's some things I love to do. I love telling stories. But there's, I have weaknesses. I'm not a tech person. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm not a tech person. And I can read, but not that small. Yeah, yeah this is okay. small. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desire of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sick bed and restores them from their bed of illness. I said, have mercy on me, Lord. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. When I woke up, and everything was now at a place where I'm trying to regain. I had to start over. I lost all strength. I lost 40 pounds in one month, but it wasn't, it wasn't fat. I wish it was fat. It was all muscle. And so I was so weak, I couldn't even lift my hands. wasn't paralyzed. But it took a week for me to lift the remote control to the TV. So here I'm starting over, and then this verse comes to me. It was brought to my wife, says, I believe God wants Alfred to know this. So in waking up, these are the first verses. Verses 1, 2, and 3, the psalmist is saying, look, God, you said, it's like, I don't know if you like when people say to you, well, you said, 
I hate it when my kids say that to me. Well, Dad, you said. But God loves it when you say you said. Because he knows you read his word. You know you, you got his words in your heart. And so the psalmist is saying like, you said. And literally, it says, for those that have concern for the weak. Other versions say, for the poor. Other versions go on different words, but it's referring to other people. Because you care about other people, I will be the one to rescue you and get you out of your sickbed. Oh, man, talk about an answer to prayer. God is going to raise me up. But I'm telling you right now, it was not and it hasn't been easy whatsoever. Why? Because of verse 4. Verse 4 is what got me. After realizing the blessings of God was going to help me get through this. But verse 4 says, can you read that one again? Yeah. Have mercy on me, Lord. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My biggest issue, the whole month I was out, most of us forget our dreams the next morning. I remember every part of my dream, nightmare, hellish experience that I went with, they had me on high doses of fentanyl. My hands were tied the entire month to that bed. And when God came in and helped me, dealing what I dealt with day in and day out in that dream state, it was only God and God alone that came and rescued and helped me. How much time we got so I can share this illustration? Like two minutes. Oh, this is a quick illustration. Yep, it's a fast one. Okay. You can do it. Can we do it? All right, dessert later. No, I'm joking. So, no, let me just share this really, guys. Look, I'm looking at that clock right there as though I'm looking at the Lord. And everything from this hand to this hand is called peripheral vision. I see all of you moving. I see you looking at me, but I'm focused on the Lord. My biggest issue was the idea that God was saying to me, Alfred, stop looking at my hands. I didn't understand what he was talking about. Stop looking at my hands. I said, but God, every time I come to you, you know that I'm calling on behalf of the other churches, the people, the ministry. He goes, I didn't say don't come to me. I said, when you come to me, stop looking at my hands. Basically, what he was saying was this. Stop looking at your hands to see what you can do without me. And stop looking at pastor's hands to see what she could do for you before you come to me. And when you finally decide to come to me, Stop looking at my hands. Immediately, Second Chronicles 7.14 pops in my head. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked way and seek my face. When you look at someone in the eye versus at their wallet or their hands, what they can give you, God was, I thought, listen, I thought I was going to hear the words that all of us want to hear. Well done. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. I didn't get that. Being Latino, I, I could have gone for even, good job, mijo. Come on. I didn't get that either. I got rebuked. I got corrected. But the Lord said, I only discipline those that I love. And God helped me. Basically, and I, I showed up with this. It was this. It was this. You spend more time in the day worrying about life and issues and funds and budgets and everything you're doing you spend more time on that 
then you spend time with me. He didn't say I wasn't spending time with him, but I was putting more emphasis. He told me, flip it. Spend more time with me, and you'll see how all that that you're worried about will follow you versus you chasing it. I'll stop there. Wow. <clears throat> That's a word. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you. I would love it if you, I know we said that was the end, but would you just, um, I, I should have uh, clarified this at the beginning, but Alfred has a nonprofit called Synergy in Action, and he works with multiple churches and um, community centers like we have birthed here, um, and he's how we get the food to feed the neighborhood and um, uh, works, works hand in hand with us. And um, I know you have sat with me a few times and you know our heart to reach the neighborhood and reach the kids at the school um, behind the neighborhood. I'm just wondering if you would just pray a blessing over us. That would mean so much. And then we'll go into our discussion questions, and after that, we'll um, be closing with worship. God, I just thank you so much for this awesome place of worship, Lord, and it's an awesome place of serving you, because we're serving the community. And you said, however you treat the least of those around you is how you treat me. And Lord, whether the richest person in the community walks in or the least richest person God, we just thank you that we can meet them and know them. Yes. And we pray, God, that you help us to do everything we can to serve them. Thank you for all these beautiful people that are here now. And I pray, God, that you help them to stay focused on you. That whatever they're going through in their peripheral, Lord, they can handle as long as they stay focused on you. You said, Lord, to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. The reason we got to fix our eyes is because they're broke. They move here and there. God, help us to fix our eyes on you. Bless my friends here. Bless all they're doing. Bless this beautiful school right next to us. Lord, we pray protection and the, your angels on campus, the four corners of that entire campus, that it would protect all those wonderful kids, the teachers, administration, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.